Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Locked on Bears. I'm your host, Lauren Cox, from Pro Football Focus and USA Today's BearsWire.com, and I'm here to bring you your daily Bears talk on the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Now, I was expecting to get on the air here and tell you about everything I saw at Chicago Bears training camp on Thursday. I made the drive down. It's about two and a half hours for me to Bourbonnais, Illinois, which in the past I have mistakenly identified as Southern Illinois. But in my head, anything south of Chicago is Southern Illinois. But really, it's it's I think above the middle of Illinois. It's, it would you know I think if you if you cut Illinois in half vertically, I think it's above the midpoint. It's very much just Eastern Illinois and just south of Chicago. So I don't want to mischaracterize it, but. Regardless, about a two and a half hour drive for me and a long drive for a number of other Bears fans. We get there, you wait in line, they let you inside, you get your seat all set. And, you know, we all kind of knew that there was some rain in the forecast. Maybe, uh, I think I checked about an hour before camp opened and it looked like it was pretty clear until about 11 or or noon with about a 50% chance of rain. But regardless, about half hour into practice, the the warning siren went off because there was lightning in the area. The Bears had just finished a little bit of walkthroughs and were just doing their stretches when the lightning warning went off. The Bears evacuated the field. Every one of us at training camp was told to evacuate because there was lightning in the area. It, it rained for about 15 minutes at most. It, it was probably five minutes of light sprinkle and then a couple minutes of a really quick, hard downpour that really was literally singular minutes. I would I would venture about two and then an, another few minutes of sprinkling. And then the sun was back out, but the Bears already decided to move practice indoors. And it wasn't as though they had an indoor facility to use. They literally went into a gymnasium at Olivet Nazarene University, like the like a like a, like your high school gym, hardwood floors, and did some walkthrough stuff there. You know, no indoor turf nor no nice indoor stadium. Instead, opted for the the half practice instead of either a coming back out onto a wet field that you know isn't going to be soaked, but is is wet and there's an injury risk there. So I totally, I I understand the op the caution there, but also I I felt like if they had given a, just a quick look at the weather radar like that morning and had just seen that hey. You know, the weather people are, are pretty good at, at predicting that stuff and tracking where the storm is going to go through. If they had just waited to start practice, thrown down a little bit of a tarp over the fields that they wanted to use, rain would have blown through in 10 minutes, and they unroll the tarp, water comes off the field. It may be just slightly, slightly damp, but they're ready to go and have a full practice outside. Instead, I had to drive another two and a half hours back home, without really getting much to glean from Bears practice. So maybe I'm a little bit salty, and uh, you know I'm trying not to hold it against anybody individually. But, you know, it was uh, 
it was a little bit of a wasted day down in Bourbonnais, but it was fun to be among Bears fans. I know I talked to actually a couple Lockdown Bears loyal listeners there that also made the drive over, so you guys can uh, can share in my agony from, from the day. And, man, getting out of that parking lot was, was a horrible, horrible experience for me. But I'm back to bring you some Lockdown Bears talk. Uh, every single day we're here to talk Chicago Bears, even if they shut us out from watching practice today. That's not going to keep me from coming on and talking about the Bears. And so maybe in the same spirit of things, I want to talk a little bit about sort of expectations for where this Bears roster is and maybe tempering them just a little bit here because I think we've reached the point in training camp where it's been a week and we've we've had these practices and you sort of only hear good things coming out. It's all about the players that are playing really well. There's the occasional criticism here and there. I think we've we've heard a little bit about maybe some Kyle Fuller struggles, some Kevin White struggles earlier in the week, but ultimately that's picked back up and it's it's sort of this unbridled optimism time of year. And I I want to I want to take this episode to just temper expectations a little bit and I don't want to come off as pessimistic and I don't want to ruin anybody's optimism for the season, but I do think it's easy to get carried away a little bit with what we see and here based off of training camp practices. And I think it's this is a good opportunity to sort of step back and really make sure we're not getting carried away and maybe not setting ourselves up for a little bit of disappointment if things don't continue to progress at the level of hype that a lot of players are receiving at this point. I think that's got to start with Mike Glennon and the quarterbacks under center, but particularly Mike Glennon. And uh, fortunately, I, I think in terms of this exercise, it's not as though Mike Glennon has been receiving, you know, inordinate amount of hype. I think he, you know, there hasn't been criticism of poor throws from Mike Glennon, but there hasn't necessarily been these rave reviews day in and day out. It's been very, you know middle of the line for Mike Glennon. And I guess I want to make sure that fans and, you know, the Lockdown Bears loyal listeners sort of understand what to expect from Mike Glennon and what might be expecting too much from him. Because, you know, this guy obviously has not played significant football snaps since the year 2014. And it's going to take him some time to get into the swing of things. And I I know I don't I don't think you're going to find too many people that are expecting him to be a 4000 yard 25 30 40 touchdown quarterback this year. You know, nothing no, no one's expecting pro bowl from Mike Glennon, but I want to I want to at least prepare for the possibility that either A he's average, which he basically was in Tampa Bay, or B he he's even potentially below average, which is a a possibility. I think this is a guy that his go-to route, here's my in-depth PFF stat for the day. I, I, like, I like to bring one of these on, on every show, something that you can't find anywhere else because I work for Pro Football Focus. When Mike Glennon was in Tampa Bay, the number one route that he targeted, the, one, the, the place he would go to more than anything else, is running backs. And, not on, and this excludes screen passes, so it's any pass route run by a running back out of the backfield. That was Mike Glennon's most targeted route. I want to say it was around 15 or 17% of his throws. I don't have the exact number in front of me. So be prepared for checkdowns. 
from Mike Glennon. He's he's not one that's going to throw the ball around and take, you know, a ton of risks downfield, and that's how he was able to somewhat limit his interceptions. But be prepared for checkdowns from Mike Glennon for better and for worse. Taking care of the ball for better, maybe leaving a few yards in on the field for worse. But what Mike Glennon was able to do in Tampa Bay was mix in those checkdowns with some deep shots because he had Vincent Jackson at wide receiver, because he had Mike Evans at wide receiver. He didn't need to be able to put the perfect deep ball in the perfect spot on the rope downfield to hit his guy in stride. It was more that he could loft it up there and have his two six foot five wide receivers jump up and beat any smaller cornerback one-on-one in coverage and come down with it sort of in the Alshon Jeffrey mode of deep balls. And I don't necessarily know if Glennon's going to quite have that in Chicago. I mean, clearly they don't have Alshon Jeffrey anymore and they don't have any receivers with his exact skill set that would seem to fit what Mike Glennon does. But Cameron Meredith is a guy that can win on the deep ball, but he's not as much of a jump ball receiver as more of a create separation and hit him in stride type of receiver, which is a more difficult deep ball. It requires that touch that I was talking about with Mitch Trubisky on the last show. I'm not going to touch on Trubisky much today, but if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, talked a lot about what the plan should be for Mitch Trubisky and how the Bears should handle his development and why he should be on the field sooner rather than later. Check that one out if you haven't already. But back on, on Mike Glennon, it seems like Kevin White could be that type of receiver, he has the the skill set to do so, but we just haven't seen it from him. He's got the body, and he's in college he was a very aggressive and physical receiver, but in the four games we saw of Kevin White last year and what we've seen in the preseason, he's lost a little bit of that confidence and some of that, just that swagger on the field to say, I'm going to get this ball, and the cornerback is not going to stop me. He has the potential to rebuild that with Mike Glennon this year, but expect the dump-offs. Expect him to go to his tight end on a little curl over the middle. Expect him to dump it off to Jordan Howard or Tariq Cohen or whoever is going to be your number two and number three running backs in the game. Expect the little flare out out of the backfield to just dump off, get completion, get yards, and and maybe he'll take some shots downfield, but it's not going to be as much of a uh, a, a play-by-play vertical threat that we had with Jay Cutler in Chicago. And I just want to make sure people understand that, you know, Mike Glennon can be serviceable and have 3,000 yards this year and still win football games, even if he's not blowing you away or, or absolutely terrible. I think somewhere in the middle is going to be what we end up seeing from Mike Glennon, and that's that's not a, that's not a bad thing, even if it's not a great thing, and I think it, it's just good to not have your expectations too high or too low with him. You're listening to Love Advice with Leanne. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Leanne. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Why, in your professional opinion, do you never take my calls off the air? Is this Carl? Yep, it's Carl. I mean, we had a few dates. Everything was great, I thought. Uh... Well, you know, when you switch to GEICO, you could save a lot of money on car insurance. Okay, awesome. You should call them. I will. GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Speaking of Tariq Cohen, I mentioned him a couple minutes ago. He's a guy that received quite a bit of hype so far at Bears training camp just with his speed and his athleticism and the way he's able to just look a step faster. You know, he's nicknamed 
the human joystick. Uh, I think he's got a couple of their nicknames he's been working on too, just for the way that he's able to really look like he's playing a video game out there and how everyone else seems to be playing on a different speed than he is. And I want to I wanna temper expectations a little bit for him too, just because, again, he, it's not his fault, and I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing that he's looking so good at training camp. That's only a good and a positive thing for him moving forward. But that's also what you would expect from a 5'6", 180-pound running back who's supposed to be faster than everyone else. Like, in my opinion, he's meeting expectations there, but it's hard for him to really prove anything of value until he gets onto the field, until he faces opponents that can actually tackle him and make contact with him. Because right now he's just able to run free and sort of he understands that no one can actually bring him down. So he can try and make moves and and do certain things within his skill set to, you know, jump around the defender, spin around, make a cut, make a juke, and sort of generate the the wow plays and get the adoration of the fans in training camp. But I think when he takes the field against the Denver Broncos in the first preseason game and when he gets going in the regular season, there's going to be a little bit of a wall there. Not not that, not saying that he's not going to make some electric plays, but it's not as though he's going to light it up every single time he touches the ball, at least not this early in his career. Again, coming from North Carolina A&T, it's, it's FBS it's going to take him some time to get used to just how fast NFL linebackers are. So he's still going to be faster than they are, but they're going to be another step closer. And when they can actually tackle him, they're going to be so much more disciplined than players he faced in college. And they're going to wrap him up much more consistently. And it's going to take more work from him to break tackles when he finally gets the opportunity to be able to try to do so. And I think it's going to take him some time, as you would expect from any rookie, to get used to that and to be able to be as flashy and electric and as explosive and productive as he looks like from what we've seen and heard from Bears training camp. I think the same thing can be said for another rookie on offense, Adam Shaheen. Again, he's bigger than everybody else. And so at training camp, he's been able to make some nice catches and really, you know, especially in the red zone, dominate against smaller defenders in coverage, whether that be a linebacker or safety or a corner. But when it gets to real football, that's when we're going to start to see it slow down a little bit for Shaheen. And I think ultimately his role on the offense this year is going to be a little bit smaller than maybe you might initially think. Like I mentioned, uh, one it might have been Monday's show about my, my observations from last week's training camp when I actually was able to watch practice on Sunday. Shaheen was a guy that is still a little bit slow and robotic in terms of changing direction and, and making cuts and, and running routes and being able to change. You know, as so he gets to the top of his route, and if he's going vertical and then going horizontal, he slows down a lot and then has to speed back up. And it's just not smooth as a, as a route runner just yet. And obviously, he's still going to have to learn the playbook fully on top of all that coming from the Division two level. I think you're going to see a specific package for Adam Shaheen and some really specific plays for him. And really, Tariq Cohen in in the same idea, different, very different packages, very different play calls, but the same idea of finding plays for him that he can master and put him in the best situations to be successful, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to be an every-down, regular part of your offense, at least not so early on in his career as he's adjusting to the NFL. I think you're going to see Adam Shaheen play extensively in the red zone and sometimes in some multi-tight end packages 
where they have certain matchups that they can try and get him in and, and sort of limit having trying to have him do too much as a rookie because he ultimately they signed Dion Sims to be their number one tight end. And that's actually where I want to go next as, as another player where I think we're starting to get a little bit too... I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of Dion Sims hype, but at least there's sort of this mutual expectation that he's going to be a, you know, a, a high quality starting caliber, you know, very effective tight end. And I'm just not, he, he never was able to consistently prove that in Miami. And so I just want to temper expectations for Dion Sims just a little bit here because I think he does get a little bit overrated as a blocker. In the same sense that, you know, last year Logan Paulson was sort of brought in to be this blocker and was thought to be this this great blocker. But he came into Chicago and was really just, quite frankly, bad at tight end and really wasn't even able to effectively do what he was brought in here to be as a good blocker. And I'm not sure that Deion Sims, like he he's going to make some nice blocks, but at the same time, he can get a little bit off balance. He can be, but he can be blocking a little bit too much on his toes, and a, a, a savvy defensive lineman can use that to his advantage and sort of pull him forward and, and really get away with holding and then shed him as a result. And and obviously the, the the bigger issue with Deion Sims is his lack of receiving ability. He's never been just a, a, a weapon for the Miami Dolphins offense in his four years there. You know he he's had he's had some touchdowns in the red zone, but. You talk to people that cover the Dolphins and even Dolphins fans, and they were always disappointed by Deion Sims. He was the the four year disappointment, the the fourth round pick that they always wanted him to be a more effective and, and potentially a a number one tight end. And injuries were part of that. I think he had some concussion issues, but in 2016, his, his most recent year there, he played 87 percent of their snaps, so over 750 snaps, a career high, and was really. On the, I mean, he was a starter, and he was one of their top tight ends for the course of the year, and didn't finish the year with a whole lot of production as a receiver. Just struggled to get open. Thirty-one catches, two hundred ninety yards. He had four touchdowns, but a lot of that was work in the red zone. And he's not, he's not going to be this dynamic receiver for the offense. And I just, I, I think there's this expectation that he's going to step in and make you forget about Zach Miller instantly. And I, I'm not saying that. Zach Miller is going to make this 53-man roster because I'm not confident in that at all. But I do think there's going to be times where Deion Sims leaves you wanting just a little bit more on the field. Not that he's going to be a liability on every snap, but maybe there's going to be some plays where he's he's just not making guys miss after the catch. He's not getting open downfield. Maybe he's not quite the dominant blocker that he's perhaps hyped up to be. And he's still a serviceable you know, tight end number one, but... It makes you want to have a Shaheen in there to be a difference maker in the passing game. It makes you want to have Daniel Brown in there to maybe be a little bit more consistent of a blocker and, and offer you a little bit more, even just, just all around, even though he's he's inexperienced. He's more that unknown at tight end, and I think teams kind of know what Deion Sims is, and so that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to have expectations get high for him just because he hasn't ever proved it in Miami, even last year when he finally played a starter's worth of snaps, he just was seemingly overwhelmingly average. And I, I think that's sort of what I'm expecting from him in a similar sense to Mike Glennon, where it's not it's not the end of the world and he's not going to be horrible, but I don't think he's going to be an elite tight end. So moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I, I don't want to step on any toes here, but I do think 
Leonard Floyd. Now, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that he's going to take a step back. I'm not trying to say that he's going to be, you know, worse or has or hasn't developed enough or anything like that. He's reportedly up to 250 pounds and has put on some weight. I think he looks a little bit thicker in the legs, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that it's been a, a full on bulk of this newfound strength that he's going to have. I think you're going to see improvement simply based on a healthier Leonard Floyd. And if he misses games, then that's what's going to limit his production more than anything else. But I, I think there's some expectation that Floyd's going to take this jump and be a 12 to 15 sack player in his second year. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible and it, it you know, it, but I, by all means, it's it. There's certainly this framework there for it to be done, but I think Floyd can still have a great sophomore season and only have nine sacks, ten sacks, and and really still have been an excellent contributor for the Bears team. I think we get a little bit too caught up in the sack totals for pass rushers in general, and especially with Leonard Floyd. But part part of the issue there with production is just that. You know, you're seeing a, a strong front seven around him. And so, you know, you look at a guy like Vic Beasley last year with the Atlanta Falcons, led the NFL with 15 and a half sacks in his second season. And some people are sort of seeing a similar, or at least expecting some sort of similar jump for Leonard Floyd in year two. And it's not to say that Leonard Floyd won't have a better year, but part of what made it easier or what allowed for Vic Beasley to have 15 and a half sacks this year was because he was really his defenses and his front sevens only consistent pass rusher. And so a lot of times you'd have everyone else, you know, occupying blocks and at least getting a little bit of pressure or at least holding their job responsibly, which allowed a Vic Beasley to get a one-on-one with the right tackle, beat him and get to the quarterback. And he gets credit for being able to finish a lot of those plays, but if if he was on a team with better pass rushers, there's only so many sacks to go around. And I think that's going to be the issue with Leonard Floyd's production is just that you've got guys like Akeem Hicks, Pernell McPhee when healthy, Willie Young, and maybe a Jay Howard and Eddie Goldman coming back to this defensive line now. There's just not – teams can't, can't support, a, a, you know, a single individual. Typically you don't see big, you know, great defenses have individuals outshadow each other in terms of sack total, you know, you're going to see Akeem Hicks get his seven or eight sacks. You're going to see Willie Young get his seven or eight sacks. And so then I think you're going to see Leonard Floyd get eight, nine, or ten, depending on how healthy he stays. But there's just not quite production room for him to get 15 in the sense that it just, you can't have, there's just not enough opportunities to finish at the quarterback for him to be able to put up that many sacks. And I do think he got sometimes more praise than he deserved at times last year for the sacks that he was able to make at times there were there were not only a few that he just didn't finish and and you know hopefully those can be converted into sacks in the future but a, a fair number of his sacks I don't I don't have an exact number but more more than two of his sacks were either cleanup sacks in the sense that they came late in a play quarterback is flushed out of the pocket and he just uses the speed to chase after guy and it wasn't really about beating the block it was just about being in the right place when the quarterback happened to be flooded out of the pocket because of someone else's pass rush or it came against 
bad offensive lineman. You know, like his, his one against the 49ers was a, just a horrible play by the right tackle. Same thing in the in the Minnesota game, sort of beat up on a couple of bad offensive tackles. And he's going to be able to do that next year, this coming year in 2017 as well. But it's just that the, there's really one sack that comes to mind as a really impressive play where he beat a high-quality offensive lineman with a, a good pass rush move, a new pass rush move. It was the one against David Bakhtiari and the Green Bay Packers. That was really his most impressive sack in the season, in my opinion, and the one that gives me the most optimism in terms of things to build on for the future. But more often than not, the rest of his sacks, at times, there was a little bit more to it than just Floyd making a good play. It was help from other teammates. It was bad offensive line play. It was quarterbacks making mistakes and ultimately resulting in a sack for Leonard Floyd when maybe he didn't have as dominant of a block destruction and sort of the translatable skill of pass rushing as you might see in other sacks and by other pass rushers. And so that's why I'm just a little bit hesitant to get him too high in the expectation for sacks. He could very well have a Pro Bowl season and still only have, you know, nine or ten sacks, but just play better against the run and and be more fluid in coverage and have a better understanding for, of his responsibilities in zone defense. But again, let's let's maybe just, just want to tone it back a little bit on the sack total. Another guy on defense who has just been recently starting to get the hype at, at Bears training camp is Eddie Jackson, the rookie safety out of Alabama. And he's been getting some rotation with the first team, made a couple interceptions. John Fox even went as far as to, you know, loosely compare him to Rod Woodson in terms of a safety who was also a great kickoff returner or a punt returner. I don't remember specifically what John Fox compared him to, but just the return man skills on top of ball skills in the secondary. And I think it's easier for Eddie Jackson, another one of these sort of rookies playing well in, in training camp, but going to hit that rookie wall of trying to figure out how to play NFL football at an NFL quality. He's a guy that if a quarterback puts a, a poorly thrown ball into the middle of the defense, Eddie Jackson is very good at going and finding it and intercepting it. And that's a very valuable skill and something that a lot of rookies don't have. It, namely, you, know, you look even on the Bears roster, that's something that Harold Jones-Corte and Adrian Amos still can't do in their second and their third years each in the NFL. So that's not, again, like a Tariq Cohen, I'm not knocking Eddie Jackson for making plays. I mean, that's he's doing exactly what you want him to do. But the th- it's going to get more difficult when the, the play is live and when he has to be thinking on the fly and really working as a deep coverage safety because there were times at Alabama when he just didn't quite have the the ideal feel in deep zone coverage when he has to keep his eyes on the quarterback. So maybe you know he's in the single deep safety middle of the field and the quarterback is looking right the whole time. And so Jackson, you know, the smart thing for safety is to follow the quarterback's eyes because quite often a quarterback is going to tell you where he's going to throw the ball before he's going to throw the ball. So Jackson will start to take some steps in the direction that the quarterback is going, you know, not necessarily over committing one direction, but just you get a little bit closer to that hash that the quarterback is facing and you kind of find your landmark as a deep safety. But the types of issues he had is if he starts, you know, for example, he starts to go that direction of the quarterback and then maybe the slot receiver on the opposite side that the quarterback isn't looking at is running a deep seam route, just trying to get deep. And Jackson, that's where Jackson doesn't quite have the feel where he, he doesn't have the feel for when his eyes are on the quarterback and there's a receiver moving 
around him that he isn't being he isn't able to look at and he doesn't have that natural instinct and feel to know sort of where everyone is without having to have eyes on them at all times and he can be beaten you know with without having those instincts sometimes just because he didn't get a ton of you know he's a converted corner so he didn't work you know he worked as a safety all his senior season but he's a guy that needs more experience there and needs to just work in more situations to have more to rely on in his in his mind and be more comfortable in those deep safety situations. He's a guy that, that should be extremely comfortable manned up one-on-one with a guy if the Bears need to rotate him down into the slot. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in that regard. But I don't want there to be this this expectation that all of a sudden, because he's made a couple nice plays on the ball in training camp, that he's going to be your week one starter as a rookie. That you know It was remarkable when Adrian Amos was able to do that, although they didn't have a ton of safety talent at the time. So, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to happen for Eddie Jackson, but I do think he's going to reach a point here where they get into live games and things are going just a little bit too fast for him. He's going to make mistakes in coverage. He might make a turnover or so in the preseason, make a couple plays on the ball, and that gets you excited. But do those plays make up for other gaffes in coverage? And maybe, you know, he had issues at times tackling in college, not always the greatest form and not always super aggressive to get his nose in there. Is that going to be something that weighs on Vic Fangio also as he tries to decide who's going to be starting at safety? So I think we're going to see a bright future from Eddie Jackson, and maybe he starts at some point this year. Maybe it's even week one, but I do think it's easy to get caught up in the turnovers and in the big plays from a young defensive back. And I think he'll, like many of the other rookies I've talked about, slow it down a little bit. You don't, you're not going to get a lot of contributions from this rookie class right away. That was sort of the, the expectation after the draft when you have a lot of these guys from small schools and you draft a quarterback that you're planning to keep on the bench. It didn't feel it didn't feel like Ryan Pace went into this draft trying to get a bunch of week one starters from his rookie class. He's looking more long-term success for these guys, and I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic about that. I know I, I just spent the last, what, 20 minutes talking sort of like I said, tempering expectations. I don't want to be. I don't want to come off as pessimistic because I, I all of all those players I mentioned, I don't think any of them are going to play poorly. I just think we're at that point of training camp where the hype is building, and we hear we've heard good things about you know Deion Sims for seven straight days. We've heard good things about Adam Shaheen for seven straight days. We've heard a lot of good things in the last couple of days about Eddie Jackson. You know, I, I just want to make sure that at, we as knowledgeable Bears fans. Don't get caught up in the meatball stuff. Don't get caught up in the, you know, the unquestioning optimism that everything is going to be sunshine and roses this season. Players are going to get hurt. Rookies are going to hit that rookie wall and struggle to, you know, adjust to the NFL game because it's it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And not every free agent that Ryan Pace signed is going to come in and be a huge upgrade over everything that they had at those positions last year. And I just want to, I don't want to get Bears fans' hopes too high. And I hope that if I, if I lower expectations just a little bit now, let's get to a little bit more of a reasonable level here with a lot of the new faces on the Chicago Bears. Then if people, if people blow you away, if one of these rookies really just thrives, then it, it's, it's a great feeling when they exceed your expectations. And, and then you're not going to be disappointed if Adam Shaheen is slow to come along and gets some touchdowns, but isn't this baby Rob Gronkowski in year one and you know like all these players I think have great potential to be everything that the Bears envision them to be in year two year three I think next year Adam Shaheen might be your starting tight end and might be 
a, a player whose name is going to need to be known across the league. I think you can say the same thing about Eddie Jackson. Might not be your starter year one, but next year, that guy is going to be your starting safety. If he can continue to stay healthy, I, I have no doubt in my mind. And a guy like Tariq Cohen can be that really effective. He can be Darren Sproles by year two if he can continue to progress and get used to the NFL speed and and you know continue to be as explosive as he is and really stand out in that way and not get caught up as a, a FBS running back who might be in over his head. You know, there's plenty of reason for optimism for these players. There's there's plenty of reason for you to even think that there's a chance these guys could be good in, in year one. But I just want to make sure the Lockdown Bears Nation and our loyal listeners here understand that things don't usually go the way you plan in the NFL, and especially for rookies and, and new faces on the team where you don't know, you don't have a track record to base it off of. You don't know what Deion Sims will do in Chicago because he's never been in Chicago. You don't know what Eddie Jackson will do in the NFL because he's never been in the NFL. Let's let's slow it back here a little bit from the training camp hype. I get excited about it. I know everything I read about Adam Shaheen, I'm like, man, this kid is going to be that matchup nightmare that we haven't had in Chicago. He's going to be everything Greg Olson wasn't better. I get excited about it, and I have to tell myself he's just a rookie. You know, the Bears brought in all these tight ends. They're they're going to take their time with him, and I'm just trying to uh, portray that to you guys, my loyal Lockdown Bears listeners. It was a pleasure to meet a few of you down at training camp. I wish I'd be able to make it out there again, but it's not looking like a trip to Bourbonnet is in the books for this podcast host, especially after the way I was burned by the weather. Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough if there's any rain in the forecast. You know, I wouldn't be anywhere near it. But it was still fun to go down there. Still fun to talk to a few of you, and still fun to watch the Chicago Bears on the field. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. I hope you haven't gotten too down about my tempered expectations, and you're not turned off by <laughs> perhaps. A, a, hopefully, there's not pessimism coming through. But uh, that's what they get for canceling practice based on just a couple minutes of rain. I, uh, not holding it against anybody, but, uh, you know, I figured it would just match the tone that I hope no one is taking it too seriously with my anger about the, about having to drive all that way for nothing today, but glad you were able to stick with me here on the podcast. As always, if you do me a favor, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. If you're not an iTunes listener, maybe do us a favor and tell a friend or something about the show, trying to get the Lockdown Bears out there, getting a lot of great feedback from you guys on Twitter. Uh, you can you can let me know what you think about the show at Cox Sports One on Twitter. That's C O X Sports One, and of course you can follow this show on Twitter at Lockdown Bears. Keeping up with all the episodes there. I, I love hearing your feedback, good and bad. If there's something you want me to change, let me know. If you, if there's something I'm doing really well, let me know, and I will keep it up. I do this for you guys, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy making it. So with that, I need to remind everyone. And I had to remind myself of this when I was driving home, maybe a little bit ticked off about practice being canceled in the rain, driving all that way. You know what makes it a little bit better? Because I was always able to remember one thing as I was talking to Bears fans at practice and, you know, trying to get over the drive and, you know, getting all mad about the rain and stuff. It just makes it all feel a little bit better when you remember to bear down.
Rush into Old Navy today for this can't-miss one-day deal. 50% off all Old Navy active for the family. Get the workout wear you need at a huge 50% off one day only today. Hurry in or miss out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1020, select styles only, excludes in-store clearance.